fantasy and some flights. Exploring the realms of beer, board games, books, and bourbon. Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy and Some Flights podcast. I'm Delson. I'm Dalton. And today we are talking about prophecy and foreshadowing in fantasy sci-fi literature novels. Yeah. As it has been foretold. As it has been foretold. I'm really excited because I don't know what's happening, but Dalton <laughs> does. And so he's going to foreshadow the topic throughout the entire episode to me, and I'm going to try and pick up on all the keys. It's going to be like a little mystery mystery game for me here. Yeah. But. yeah, like you're the main character, and I'm the sprite on your shoulder that just like tells you what's going to happen. Yeah. No, no. He's got a point. He's got a point. <laughs> uh, two people will get that, and I love it. But anyways... Yeah, so we are we're obviously drinking because it is Thursday. Um, I mean, wait, yeah, because we're recording. That's because right. we're recording. We because do usually we are record recording. on Thursdays, you know, just because <laughs> the cadence works out well for us. Yeah, right. So, but it is kind of thirsty Thursday a little bit for it, us when we. There you go. Yeah, it's it is thirsty Thursday. Yeah. So, Dalton, walk me through what is on your flight tonight. What is on my flight tonight? Um, so, actually, a couple of episodes ago, I think a fireside episode, I did a Sazerac um, mixed drink. Um, yeah. Maybe it wasn't. No, actually, I think it was a full-length episode now that I think about it. But it doesn't really matter what episode it was. It just was a <laughs> recent one. And I did a Sazerac mixed drink, um, which is made with Sazerac rye. And so I wanted to bring that on. Um, so as a as a reminder, this is actually like made at the Buffalo Trace Distillery. It's a part of like the Sazerac umbrella, um, which is kind of a, a mega brand. They have like a billion things. But <laughs> Fireball. When, what's that? Fireball. Fireball. Yes, they make Fireball. Um, this is a little bit better than that. Um, it's actually probably substantially better, but it is a rye whiskey. Um, so it is made. Um, so Buffalo Trace in general um, doesn't really reveal their mash bills, but they do have a couple of like standard bills. Um, and they will say that it is like their Sazerac rye bill or something like that. Um, and so people have kind of like guessed what that probably is something like. Um, so it is a, a probably around like a 51% rye to make it a rye a large corn percentage, so probably around like 40% or so, um, and then like a barley percentage to make up the remainder is what kind of people have, the experts or whatever, have figured out based on all the whiskeys that come from this mash bill. It is in the, what is it in? I'm trying to remember what I have seen it for. Because this is, if you remember from the episode, um, this was actually a gift, so I did not buy this. I'm trying to remember what I've seen it around for, maybe in like the 35 to 38 range. Um, oh, that's not too bad. Dollar-wise, yeah. Um so, but I wanted to do an actual tasting of just just the whiskey itself. So getting to that. Um, so the nose was really like kind of funny. Um, or not funny, like fun. Um, it, it it reminds me of like if you got like like a green apple like lollipop. Like that's what that's the smell for me. It's okay. like it's really sweet and it's not bad. Like it, it yeah, doesn't, yeah, it doesn't even just, come across as like fake or anything, but it's not what I would expect, I guess. Yeah, I, I didn't expect it either. I like smelled it and I was, it was like immediately, and that doesn't usually happen for me on the nose. Like I don't think that like my nose is like the strongest part of my tasting. Um, it's not like my best skill or whatever in tasting whiskey, um, but it was like, that is that smell. Like it just like popped out to me. Hmm. Um, so that was kind of fun. Um, but it, you could also maybe throw in like apple apple pie or something like some things that kind of play off of that, you know, feeling that taste. Um, so that was kind of what I got in the nose for the... Um, for the taste, I think I don't, I don't know. May, I don't maybe pick out anything too drastic. Um, it definitely is a little sweet for the rye, or maybe not sweet for a rye, but like down the rye spice is kind of downplayed, um, largely because it 
probably has that like around 50%, like just kind of barely making it awry. So it's not like 100% or something, right? Where it's like just really hitting you with it. And um, then does like the corn add to the sweetness? Yeah, Because I exactly. typically think of corn being kind of a sweeter part of a whiskey. So, okay. I'm just, I'm learning. I'm, I'm, I'm learning. I'm, I'm just becoming the student. I'm oh, just I'm so proud. becoming the student that I don't think that's It definitely does. And it <laughs> definitely is. Yeah. But you're, you're, you're 100% right. Um, so it has like some of these caramelly flavors or something. Um, one flavor that was kind of described to me we actually so right before the episode started we talked about how sometimes with tasting whiskey the like taste descriptors sound terrible (laughs) (laughs) yep yep. like if you actually tasted it you know people like i think you you had said like it it tastes like leather and tobacco and you might go ew like that sounds (laughs) terrible i don't think i like that yeah like why would i why would i have that um this one has like a waxy taste and i I, the best i can think of is like you know i don't know if you like if you're a white chocolate fan but like white chocolate kind of tastes waxy okay like huh. not in a bad yeah, way, yeah. but it just like that's what it tastes like. It's like that texture. Yeah, it's kind of like a texture thing, and it, it's not like this is like thick. You know, <laughs> it is like a liquid. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It just like it, it reminds a little bit of wax, and um, it has like some of like the oak barrel like char type flavors coming through. Um. So I would just say it's well balanced. It's like a four to six year. Uh, apparently, it used to have a six year age statement, and they've taken that away. I think as it got more popular, they needed to drop to like a four year age statement. Um, so gotcha. it, it, it isn't pull it out of the rick house a little bit sooner right exactly exactly so yeah i've i've really enjoyed it um this overall is a fairly highly rated whiskey for its price point um and so it's probably worth picking up it's kind of a flagship um for like an extremely large um you know distiller group and it's fairly successful for what it does so um i was i was excited to actually do this tasting i think today was maybe the first time that i actually like hmm. tasted it straight i've only had it in like the mixed drinks before um and it's not like so expensive where you can't do that like it is kind of made to like slot into that um but it stands alone like fairly nicely so i've been i've been pretty pleased with it so do you prefer the the mixed drink or do you prefer it straight i think i would prefer the mixed drink only because i think in it's like kind of weight class it just would maybe i would choose other things you know okay yeah Um, that's fair and so if i was going to have like a 35 ish dollar rye there might just be other things that I would have, but again, there's nothing like wrong with it. It's 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 good on its own. I just I might prefer the I might prefer the mixed drink. So I think for that reason, it might hang around it like a two cheers for me. But I feel like in saying two cheers, that feels like a critique, and it's really not. Like it, it is well balanced. Um, it's just like personally, maybe like not my favorite. So yeah, there there are other things that you pick over it, and so it's not necessarily an indication of the quality of the whiskey. It's yeah. an indication of the other things that are surrounding the whiskey mm-hmm. and the other options that you may have. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, oh, but yeah, I think I it's mean, worth picking fair. up and trying for sure. I would. I would and and if you pick that. it up, definitely do the, the, so shoot. Is it just called a Sazerac? Yeah, it is. Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm sure there's another adjective or a noun or something in there, but it's like, okay, no, it's the, the mixed drink is just the Sazerac yeah. or it's Sazerac. A Sazerac <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, apparently so, I learned today named after a coffee house specifically in New Orleans that like came hmm. up with it. So apparently, you know, getting a little far from coffee, but yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh man. Well, okay. Well, that's good. I'm glad that you got to try it. It's fun to hear kind of both sides of the story, right? The straight and then also like previously the the mix. So that yeah. that's exciting. I think the mix you were saying was a three cheers for you. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's what I remember. Now the next task, the next thing that I want to hear from yeah. you is picking out a different rye in the same weight class and making the Sazerac with a different oh. <laughs> rye whiskey and seeing if it's, you know, if it's truly does need that Sazerac mm. whiskey. Yeah. Pick up like maybe bullet rye or something. That, yeah. In that weight class. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. All well, there's your that. homework. 
There's my homework. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I do this. I come here for homework. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you don't have enough going on, so I'm just here to help. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Awesome. All right. What's on your flight? So I am drinking a whiskey that we picked up together when you came to visit just a couple of weeks ago. We went over to Jungle Gems, which we've talked about on the podcast before, but they have a fairly decent uh, just liquor selection. And so I picked out, upon your recommendation, the Jefferson's Reserve, which is the very old very small batch whiskey, <laughs> which is printed on the bottle. Yeah, so this is kind of the the souped up upgraded version of their more popular bourbon, which is the Jefferson small batch, I think is what it's yep. called. And this one, I think I've had the small batch at your place. I don't know if I had ever had the reserve at your place. If I had, it was definitely before I actually knew what I was drinking. Mm-hmm. And so yep. <laughs> and so pick this up on your recommendation and it's really good. Yep. It's a I mean it's like it's got some pretty complex flavors and what I like about it is that it is a whiskey, but it is kind of peppery and spicy. And mm-hmm. so like the what comes to me is like it's more of a sweet spice. Like I think of cinnamon almost like when I when I'm yeah. tasting it. Yeah. It's not it's not like the the rye spice, but it it's like it's bordering on kind of almost a cinnamon whiskey. And I feel like that's going too far when I describe it like that. Mm. But if I'm if I'm being nitpicky and taking out flavors, it's like this cinnamon. And cinnamon is my favorite flavor of anything. Like not just like whiskey or I go for anything cinnamon. Like cinnamon <laughs> rolls, I will devour. And so <laughs> and so that makes this really appealing. And this is actually the one that's described as leathery and tobacco-y on, on the back end, oh, which yeah. is which is really good. I mean like it's horrible descriptors, <laughs> but it has this kind of like uh real feel to it almost. Yeah. And but like it's you know it comes in sweet and then kind of finishes more like a whiskey. And so it's it's really complex. If you like sit it and chew on it like the Kentucky chew that you were describing in our whiskey episode, yeah. you get so many flavors as you go through the progression of actually taking a drink like through the nose and all the way through the swallow that it's you know it's a very just solid whiskey for what it tastes it's actually really good price point i think we picked it up for like 50 maybe 55 yeah and so i was i was expecting nothing like this type of quality for that whiskey and for for that's for that reason i'm gonna give this one a four cheers just because I, yeah, I, it's just it's just really solid, and I mean, like fifty dollars is a good chunk of change to spend on a whiskey, but it is like you get what you pay for, and mm-hmm. a little bit more, I believe. So, yeah. so first of all, it's really validating for me that I could like sit with you in a store <laughs> and ask you like, hey, how much do you want to spend, and you like name a price, and I could pick right. out a four cheers whiskey for you. Like that for me personally feels like a real accomplishment. You know, cheers. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> um, that's awesome. The other cool thing about this is I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you remember this or not, um, if you, but like fantasy and some flights trivia. So this whiskey appeared on episode six. Narrat- oh, okay. Narrative styles. This is the whiskey. According to my notes anyway, this is like, I was According like, I to your notes. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I wonder, I feel like I maybe had this at once. I think um, you had. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's not at all a criticism. It's just really cool to me. Like, I almost want to go back and hear like what I said about it and compare it to like what you just said about it. You know, again, you should maybe do that yourself. Um, yeah. Just to that'd see, be fun. Like, you know. How have you grown as a whiskey taster, right? Like, right. What was episode six? Narrative styles. Narrative styles. Oh my gosh, dude, that yeah. was so long that ago. Was so long ago. <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like we've both grown in both our our tasting and our descriptive styles. Oh, at least I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now like we use words then, like leather and tobacco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and back then, if I tasted a whiskey, I've been like, yeah, this this uh this one hurts. This one hurts. <laughs> yeah. Release date um four sixteen twenty twenty. So Ooh. right after COVID started. 
Yeah. I mean, we were, God, that was a time. Yeah. That was a time. But yeah, so excellent. I So I'm, I'm so excited, excited that I, you know, I'm like following in your footsteps, I feel like. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm becoming the whiskey protege. Yeah. I'm, just, uh, I'm so glad you liked it. You know? It's, yeah. It's a, it's a favorite of mine as well. Um, it might appear in my top five. I have not made like a whiskey oh. top five, but I feel like if Ooh. I did, it might. So. That would be interesting. That would be interesting to do at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I have enough experience to create a top five, but maybe that makes like it half the fun though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and at number five, we have Fireball. We have Old Forester. Old Forester. Or whatever. There was something that you, we had. Let's see. Actually, it's probably my note. Doesn't matter. There was, I, <laughs> oh, maybe it was Bardstown. We, you picked up like, it was Old Bard. That was bad. Bardstown Bourbon. Old Bardstown Old Bourbon. Bardstown, which is not the same. I don't know if it's not the same, but there is Bardstown as like a distiller, which is not in, inherently a bad distiller at all. But. I'm pretty sure that's Willet, and I think it is. when I did the tasting at Willet, I very much passed on that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You also like, like the next week. You had now that I just have like this like section of the one note up. You had next week. You had Bal- Balconis Texas Rye. I don't know if you remember that. one. Oh, that one was really bad too. Yeah, it was so bad. You had like two bad. Like, like I felt so bad for you. you had, like two whiskeys in a row that were like one cheer, maybe yeah. zero, <laughs> like, maybe zero. I I I don't know. I may just pour this one out. Yeah. <laughs> But that, yeah, that Texas fry was the one that was, I think it was at the liquor store. They had said that it was the like number five or whatever. Yeah. But I think that it was mislabeled or something or else I'm just like not a good taster. (laughs) One of the two, but, but yeah. Okay. So we have not actually done a mind section in a while. And so we did like our little catch up on a fireside recently. Maybe. Yeah. Other than that, it has been a little while. It has been a little bit. So catch me up. What has been on your mind recently, yeah. Dalton? So one thing that I have actually really, I've, I've been very diligent about not talking to you about. Have you, Did you, going way back, like, and this is honestly, it's a little bit out of date. So I apologize for and like a podcast perspective. You know, we're supposed to do up to date stuff and we're not right now. But did you ever actually finish What If? I remember you started it. Did no, no, it? I, I didn't. I, I so think the I last one really, that I saw was Strange. The last one you saw was Strange. Okay. So I, first of all, I really liked Strange. That was maybe, that, that was a cool personally, one. like one of my favorite episodes. I really, really liked the ending of What If. I thought it was oh, awesome. Okay. Yeah. It was super cool. And I almost I don't didn't... want to say too much more about it, but I would say that um, there was, there was more of an overarching story than I oh, thought. Oh, okay. Okay. It That's really, solid. And if you watched Strange, I feel like there's only like three episodes left. Like you might just go back and finish it. Yeah, because um, you're like right there. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. Yeah. Um, um, da. We'll but like it. we we only talked briefly about what if, and some of it was like um, when we first started. You know, we we gave the description. You may already know, but just just to just to summarize, they basically it's sort of a multi multiverse um, exploration. So they're looking at like, hey, you know, here's this popular storyline that you already know um, from like you know from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like we're gonna change like one little thing. Um, and some of them are a little bit campy. There's like a zombies episode, which I was like, I don't know why you made this. This was kind of garbage um, in my mind. That's actually the last one I watched. That's the one after Strange. That's the, okay. Gotcha. That's the one that you're like, I'm not watching this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then there are four after that one. There's so four there after that. Okay. Nine episodes total. Gotcha. Okay. okay. So I, I am off in my timing. Then Strange happens earlier than I thought. But I did really like. I did really like Strange because they're not like core storyline. It gives them the ability the ability to like make some bad things happen. Mm, um, and okay, I, yeah. I thought that was really cool. Like I, I, you know, that it's like okay, like sometimes the good guys don't always win, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but because it's like a multiverse thing, and they can kind of cancel out the storyline, and it doesn't like affect anything going forward. That's like okay, you know, it's like within bounds. And I love that. I love when bad guys win. That's like 
you know, that's my bread and butter. Like I, I, it gets me like so excited and cause, cause they have to like some, sometimes people have to take, otherwise it like invalidates all of the hero victories, right? Like sometimes <laughs> yeah. the bad guys have to win. Yep. Um, and it can't just be like, oh, they win right now in like, you know, episode two of the like trilogy or whatever. Um, but like episode three, it's going to be fine. You know, like that, yep. like that, I don't like that feeling, you know? Um, but a lot of people say that like Empire Strikes Back is like the best Star Wars film and I often feel like it's because the bad guys win, <laughs> you know, like I just, I really, I really like that. So anyways, that, that's a little bit of a tangent, but I did, do, I did just want to mention like we had talked about how what if was like maybe just okay, like you can watch it if you want to. Um, and then I watched it all the way through the end and I was like, no, this ending is like super, in my mind, super worth hitting. Like, okay. I, I really enjoyed it. Okay. I will, I will take your advice. You were you were correct on the whiskey, and so I will I'll <laughs> give you one more and watch the rest of those. But I mean, like I enjoyed them. I, I don't quite remember why I stopped. I think it was just like one of those where it was kind of like when I was moving, and it just kind of yeah stopped happening. But yeah. I love animation, and I thought that they did a really good job on like the art, cinematic like look oh, yeah. of it. Like it was just beautifully done, yeah. and so like even the ones like the zombies, which did not have a super compelling storyline, I still thought looked incredible and like looked yeah. really really cool. It did, and so I I really enjoyed like watching that. Yeah, and so yeah, I'll go back and watch them. But I'm yeah. excited to hear that there was there's more of an overarching story because I think that was one of the other things that kind of was drawing me out of it mm-hmm. is like every single time there's just so much packed into one, and it's. If I forget about it, it's not going to affect the next one. So yeah. it's like, yeah. okay, if I stop this and I have 10 minutes left, I wasn't super into it, which I think is actually what happened at the zombies. Like, it looks like I have seven minutes left in the zombies. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, I don't. So I think if so anything, that, any episode might be skippable. I feel like the zombies episode was skippable. I think that was a little bit of fan service, and I don't mind it overly. Like, given what the show is trying to accomplish, I don't mind that they threw in, like, a zombies episode. Yeah. Um, because that's also like, I think what if is maybe, I'm not, so I should preface, I'm not like a comic book reader, but I feel like when I see comic books in stores and stuff, because I do go to board game stores a lot and they will often have a lot of comic books and I, I just go through and look through because it's like, hey, comic books are kind of cool. It's common for them to like have like a little special release that's like a zombie episode or something. So I, I feel like they're kind of honoring some of that spirit and what if in general mm. is kind of doing that. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't mind it, but I was like, I... I don't know. I just wasn't crazy about the episode itself. But the other thing that I really enjoyed about the show, when you mentioned that it was animated, it, it reminded me of this, um, is I just, I really like anime. And we've talked about this a lot. Like I watch a lot of anime. Um, so it was really fun to see like the, to see them be a little bit more true to like comic book action, you know? And so kind of ha- you have like these, um, it's the same thing that I really, really loved about um, the like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, right? Oh, beautiful oh such beautiful such a good movie um but like that scene where like miles like jumps off the building and it like shows him like upside down it's like these slow motion shots like they do a lot of that in the you know where they like slow down the animation and just give you like a real like just desktop background screensaver type thing. oh yeah yeah Um, they where it's like wow that's such a pretty like shot you know um and comic books can do that they can take out like a half a page or something and have like a really pretty like still from a scene um but they don't really do that in the cinematic universe because it's like a movie right so it just keeps moving um and so what if being animated it gave them a little bit of like liberty to do that and i I personally as like a you know a fan of that style and that you know and for that type of art i just really enjoyed that about the show so Mm. nice um, it also came out i think like at a time where Disney Plus put out like a shit ton of stuff, like I don't <laughs> they, remember. They fully, always but, are. Yeah, I know they put out they put out so much, but so I think it kind of like went under the radar, and so that's why I just kind of wanted to revisit it with us a little bit and say that it, I I did very much enjoy it. Very cool. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. I've been, I mean, just from 
playing Marvel Champions so mm-hmm. much. I've been really into wanting to get more into Marvel, and especially like reading the the comics. I am looking at starting to read through either the local library or like the Marvel United app, depending on what the Marvel or what the library has. Mm-hmm. But I I do want to start getting into that specifically like X Men, because in Marvel Champions they are introducing X Men. And so that's kind of exciting. And like oh, yeah. I, I know a lot about the MCU. I've watched all the movies. I've done a lot of that. But X Men, I'm pretty ignorant on. And so, like, mm. being able to like connect with a lot of these characters, I I'm just not able to do as much as I could with the Avengers and like yeah. that style team. And so, like, I I'm excited to do that um, and get into the reading. But totally agree with you that just the artwork that they put out is just phenomenal. Yeah. So, like, going along with the Marvel theme, have yeah. you been watching Miss Marvel? No, I, I I don't know anything about that actually so far. So, Miss Marvel is a uh, teen superhero. Okay. So she's I think in high school, and so think like Spider Man age. Okay. Uh, like, um, and so so Peter Parker Spider Man age or Miles Spider Man age. But yeah, so Miss Marvel is Kamala Khan. She's a Pakistani American. Um, so she she's living in New York at the time, and she's like this superhero nerd, right? So like all already like I identify with her because like I am a superhero nerd, and like in <laughs> universe she is a superhero nerd. Yeah. And so this is after Endgame. This is after all of that kind of stuff has happened. And so she like idolizes Captain Marvel, and like she you know is cosplaying as Captain Marvel at conventions, and so it's like super like almost meta in that sense yeah, where it's like fun. these are these are the types of. Um, like things that I see people doing and I like to do. And it's just like, it's just kind of crazy. And that it's just weird, but she's a, yeah. So she, she ends up getting a magical uh, bandolier that helps her or that gives her superpowers. And she's a, I'm not going to actually, you know what I'm, she, she gets superpowers. That's pretty much in the trailer. I'm then bad guys chaser, et cetera, et cetera. If she didn't get superpowers, I I would be kind of in question about like, what's the show about? What's going on? It's just just about a cosplayer. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I have been really enjoying it. It's been very different and I've been, I've appreciated that, right? It's not the, and it feels almost hypocritical saying it's not the white guy superhero. Yeah. Right. And, and so like, that's a nice change of pace and it's nice to see representation in that sense. And it, it's like really cool because they have kind of very heavily leaned into it. They make a lot of jokes that kind of like, I don't necessarily understand, but makes sense in that cultural context. And so like, I appreciate that. Mm. And it's been really fun um, watching it. She is just like a very char- charismatic, like actress as well. Like I, I feel like I connect with, the actress and I don't remember who plays her right now. I'm going to look it up, but she is like, she just like feels very like high school nerd. And yeah. like, I can just relate to it. Just that, and that so, nerd out energy. That yeah. geek energy. It's kind of like the scene where in civil war, where, um, where Peter's like, Oh, you have a, you have a metal arm or whatever. And he's like totally geeking out about it. And he's like, we're fighting right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I, I think Disney plus kind of messed up with the release of this because they were releasing episodes on the same day that they were releasing Kenobi episodes. Ooh. And I think that very much hurt the show. Yeah, I like I didn't start watching Miss Marvel and I'm usually like pretty up to date on most of the like MCU stuff like day of. But with Kenobi coming out on the same day, it's like I'm dedicating my time and energy to Star Wars because that's my one and only or my my first love mm-hmm. um, I, and my wife. Yeah. But and you, but <laughs> <laughs> I just you need a shovel or are you just going to dig this yeah, hole I'm yourself? Just gonna keep, I'm just going to keep digging. But <laughs> but it, 
I think that very much hurt kind of the release, and yeah. I, I wish that they had were at least on different release days. Yeah. But going back and watching it, it's been it's been a really good show. I kind of going back to our animation topic and like our, our talk there. It's not like animated; it is a live action show. But they do a lot of really cool like cinematic effects where they're you know painting on the walls as she's mm. like walking around and it's it's kind of portrayed as like this is her imagination oh, you know cool. playing and like it just visually it's very appealing awesome. in that sense and so i've been really enjoying it i i don't think that it's getting as much love from everyone else but mm-hmm. I, I'm very much enjoying it. I think it's a really cool show. That's great to hear. It's it's next on my watch list. Like right now, I'm actually getting caught up in One Piece um, because we were talking also before the episode. This is not relevant, but we were talking before the episode. You're going to hear it anyway. That like <laughs> subscription services have this like they have this game that they play around like how much can I annoy this person to like make them yep. subscribe, but not so much to drive them away. So Funimation really di- recently did this to me where they made One Piece subscription only, and it's like son of a bitch. Like <laughs> like I need. I need one piece access like I could just go google it and like you know pirate it but I don't know it's like <laughs> that's more difficult on my phone and yeah yeah and I don't know and so I just ended up like they're like 14 days of, you know free trial and it's like there we go I'll just get caught up I'll wait until <laughs> create a new email get exactly. caught up again Exactly. Because I actually have had a free subscription, like a free, you know, month trial or something before. So that's yeah, so I, funny. I, I saw a, I saw a TikTok at, um, that was talking about One Piece, and it was like, you know, this guy trying to get his friends into watching One Piece. Yeah. Like, okay, we'll try it. We'll try it. And it's like, and then like the next scene is like, dude, no, no, it's about to get good. It's like, dude, we are on episode three hundred and fifty. Like, <laughs> when does it get good? <laughs> We're a third of the way through. <laughs> And that's not but, fair. There's some really good stuff in the first like 200 episodes. <laughs> Specifically 123 to 127 and then 189 <laughs> to 194. I hate, Those are my <laughs> I hate how true this is. <laughs> no, but I just yeah, that was funny. We have completely derailed at this point, but completely. I tell people it's like it's shorter in like hours watched than Grey's Anatomy. So if you have watched Grey's Anatomy, then you can commit to this. But there that hasn't know. been successful in selling people on it, so there must be something flawed. But you have line. to do it in 14 days, so that's right. That. <laughs> <In> 14 days. <laughs> it, so it's like 10, 10 days of just watch time, so you got to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, I, we definitely take some PTO. Mm-hmm. That's gonna that's gonna be a necessity here. So yeah, that 10 days was a joke, by the way. I have no idea how. Like, I should look at you know. I mean, I guess it's a thousand. It, you know, it's like a thousand episodes, roughly times like 23 minutes an episode. So whatever that works out to. I don't know. It's like 300 something hours, but. <laughs> Oh man. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. So th- that was me. What else is on your mind? I got one more thing, but okay. I know that you have a lot of stuff too. Cool. Yeah. I have a kind of just a quick one. Um, I, I had been recently doing some like research cause I like hit a point where I was like, when is the second season of Wheel of Time coming out? And so I had, I've recently done some research on it. Um, so I wanted to share like a couple updates. So first of all, um, there's not, they did finish. If you're curious, like I was, they did finish filming. Um, that happened, I believe it towards the end of May of, of this year. Okay. Um, so that's been going on for a while. There's And so kind of the speculation right now is like the other big thing that um, Amazon has coming up, obviously, is the Lord, Lord of the Rings series, right? That's coming out. Please don't mess it up. Please, Please don't, don't mess, mess it up. up. Please, Please don't, don't mess it up. I, every time someone says it, I have to break and say that three times or else. <laughs> and I have to spin in a circle and click my heels together. <laughs> yeah. Please don't mess it up. But it's yeah. in that's coming out in like September or something. So the speculation is that they probably don't want to interfere with that. They started coming out with episodes in like November of last year. So we're probably like looking at that type of timing. Um, so just an update like that's 
I, I was super curious. So just so you don't have to go Google it, that's like kind of, there isn't an official release date. That's kind of the speculation though. It's like towards the late fall, early winter of, of this coming of, of 2022. I really, like we've said before, but just to say it again and say it three times and turn around and click my heels together. <laughs> I really hope that they fix the issues that they kind of have. Yeah. yeah. I hope there's less yeah. CGI. There probably won't be, but I can hope. Um, yeah. They did make a recast. Um, they recast hmm. Matt Cawthon, who's like one of the um, three yeah. know, boys. In, Interesting. Um, and it sounds like there was actually maybe some like issues with the actor. I don't know if it was a scheduling issue or what it was, but um, gotcha. there was also some like, if you watch the full season, there was like some awkward things that kind of happened with his character, specifically with like, in, in relation, if you know what happens in the books. Um, it was just like a little odd. And so it kind of makes sense when you have like that context of like, oh, okay, they they knew actually towards the end of the season that they were recasting him. So that there was maybe mm-hmm. some decisions made that like were around that. I don't know anything about the actor that they're bringing in, but we'll see. We'll see. So anyways, like I said, it was very short. I just, I had this like moment this week where I was like, what is happening with Wheel of Time? And I would like to give an update on it. So there is your update as far as, as far as. Where, I where are you in your reading journey of Wheel of Time? I am in the start of, am I in the start? I guess I'm like 30, 40% of the way through book seven. Okay. So we're in the meat of it. Like I said. Yeah. We're, we're, you're getting there. We're in the meat of it. It's still, you know, still really enjoying it. Wheel of time. I don't want to talk too much about just because I think it'll come up for the the topic tonight. And I don't want to make the whole episode about wheel of time. So, yeah. um, I think, I think we'll talk more about it, but for now we'll, we'll turn it back over to you. What you said you had one more thing. So what, what, what else yeah, is there in your mind? Yeah. My, my last thing kind of leads into our topic of foreshadowing and, kind of these prophecies and that that is kenobi did you ever watch it not yet it's also on my also on my watch list but I it's on a different watch list it's on my watch it. list of things to watch with the fiance versus like things to watch by myself <laughs> so. yeah i absolutely loved it i thought it was phenomenal like the, is it like finished now it is finished yeah I, I think it was only six episodes and so it's a it was a limited series there is speculation that there may that they may do a season two if they do mm-hmm. i hope that they don't focus on kenobi they did open up a couple of different story paths that they could go down mm-hmm. and those would be very compelling to watch but i i'm really satisfied with where they left kenobi and like like let you know let the rest of it kind of be up to the imagination they don't need to tell any more of that story yeah but they did such a good job of filling in just like some of these like little holes and little like plot details that between episode three or i guess between like rebels episode three rebels and episode four Mm -hmm. that they just like filled this in and they did it without changing any of like the established lore or anything like that and i just mm, the the cinematics were just amazing i thought all the acting was phenomenal i think that there was a lot of issues with leia's actress which i didn't quite understand i thought that she played leia she embodied leia who is this like rebellious like Mm. yet confident person very well like star wars like the first time you see her she's in like a chase scene and star wars recently has had very has a very difficult time with chase scenes. And I think that that kind of led to some of the, the mm-hmm. hate against that actress, which is, I think is unfair, but I thought that she did a really well, or she did a really good job, like embodying Leia, but it was really cool to see like all of these characters and like Disney had such an opportunity to mess this up. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> like they, they, they teed it up just to completely let us down. And yeah. they, in my opinion, did not. Awesome. And Oh man, it, it was just like really cool. Cause you got to see like, the origin of like the toy that Luke is playing with in episode four, right? Like, and so like, it's like, 
almost like this pre-foreshadowing. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even know if that's like a concept, right? But like some of these things that you see that are just kind of like one-offs, which is you'll see in like foreshadowing, like these like not necessarily a red herring, but if you like Chekhov's gun, right? Like if you mention a gun, it should come up later in the story. Yeah. But it felt like the opposite of that, right? Like Star Wars, like Luke is playing with this starship and then you get to see where yeah. that came from. And yeah. like the actual, the emotional like toll that Kenobi gave it to him. And like, I guess that's not like a spoiler or anything, but like that's an episode like one, but yeah. the, it was just like really cool to kind of see that that actually had a deeper meaning. And it was just, I, oh, it was so good. It was so good. I think now that it's, oh, that is out. I think it's definitely worth maybe watching in like two settings. Mm. Um, I think they're around 40 minutes each. And so it would be like two movies. Okay. But it's filmed very much like a movie. Waiting week to week was painful and hard. <laughs> and like yep. there are some things that I did not like, but like when it first came out and I had to wait. And I'm being super vague here, so I apologize about that. But like watching it through makes a lot more sense and I appreciate a lot more. Gotcha. And so I, I'm just, I'm, I'm what I'm ready to, you know, just take my day off work or whatever and just watch through six hours of like <laughs> four, four and a half hours of this show and just like take it all in again, because it, it was probably one of the best things that Star Wars has put out since season seven of Clone Wars, in my opinion. Wow. That's high yeah. praise. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, it was really cool. So, but it, it did a lot of kind of like, pre-foreshadowing if that means anything like yeah <laughs> I, I, I didn't see anything on online and so i think you know that's a coin or that's a term we're coining tonight yeah but. i think prequels have their place within this discussion like i, I don't know it, it, it's a weird it's a weird feeling but they it's sort of like they're doing it in a different way but they're generating the same feelings for you you know where they're like you know it's kind of that feeling of like i know what's going to happen and i'm just kind of along for the ride now like trying to yep. see how we get there it's about the journey not the end kind of thing yeah yeah all righty so that that's kind of led us into the conversation tee us up what are we talking about tonight with yeah. prophecy and foreshadowing yeah so this topic for me um came about because um there was a time where i was reading both the witcher series and starting in, I was like finishing the Witcher series and I was starting Wheel of Time. And so I was like alternating the books. And both of these are like very, very heavy in um, prophecy. And they're handled in slightly different ways, but they're like, they have this, it's a very strong theme within both. Um, and then at the same time, like Dune came out, which, <laughs> which is also like, <laughs> yeah. and so it was like these three, like these three massive, like, you know, theaters within my mind of, of, of like how prophecy works. And so it's kind of this idea of like, hey, maybe we should do an episode about this. We should talk about, the different forms that this can take, right? Because it can take the form of um, prophecy. It can take the form of like the chosen one, right? Think like Harry Potter or something like that. Yeah. Um, it can take the form of like foreshadowing, which like we all kind of like learned about in like high school English or something and has more of like the red herring feeling that you were talking about before, right? Um, and, and and it can be any of those, but we just kind of wanted to like, I don't know, jump into the topic a little bit, talk about like how we have seen it, like what we enjoy about it. Um as, as some of our episodes have been trending recently, this one's, I think, a little bit more of a freeform topic, you know, mm -hmm. and it's a little bit of a nebulous topic. Um, I, I know where it will end up, but, <laughs> but it's about <laughs> the journey. I'm going to figure it out along the way. So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'll pick up on clues here and there. Exactly. But yeah, so like foreshadowing is kind of the idea of hinting at where the story is going. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's kind of the most concise definition that I could really think of. Mm -hmm. And there, when I was doing my research, and we're just going to kind of get this out of the way 
way real quick um like of like the technical definition of foreshadowing and i think i want to we want to focus a little bit more on prophecy yeah and how that kind of is involved but like when i was looking at foreshadowing there's direct and there's indirect foreshadowing so direct foreshadowing is like they're telling you exactly what is going to happen in the story so like if you've ever seen hamilton which like i guess it's historical nonfiction, so it's yeah. like kind of hard to do that but like the very first song in the musical is burr says i'm the damn fool that shot him right it, it straight up tells you the end of the play yeah and so that is that is an example of direct foreshadowing where they're straight up telling you and then the the story gets you to that end point and so that's used less often than the indirect which mm-hmm. is kind of the concept that we had talked about just previously like Chekhov's gun which is a playwright or a play thing where if there's a gun in a scene in act one it should be used in act three right mm-hmm. if you're gonna go out of your way to point out the old rotting tree that's hanging over the house that better fall on the house at some point in the story. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And these are, this is a little bit more common. They're a little bit harder to pick up, but they're really satisfying on like a reread to pick up and try and figure out mysteries do a really good job of embodying this type of foreshadowing Mm -hmm. where you're trying to figure it out. They also throw in the red herring, which is, you know, place the gun there, but it's actually the knife that killed the person, right? The gun's the red herring. We don't need to talk about it. Yeah. Now, I think prophecy tries to combine these two, mm-hmm. right? In prophecy, typically there's something that you, it's a very direct telling of something that will happen. But I think the good prophecies and the satisfying prophecies to read in fiction are the ones that feel direct, but then also have the indirect twist. Mm-hmm. So like you see like this with like Harry Potter and you see this with like, I think with like Witcher and wheel of time and so that's where i want to go with the conversation yeah yeah i think that's a really good summary and and part of um the reason we're approaching it the way we are is exactly what you said that um the a lot of times foreshadowing um is is just common to like mystery and it's common to other genres that are kind of like outside of fantasy and sci-fi which is kind of like our, our bread and butter they definitely do exist um but they require like harder analysis like more in depth um like you said reread like you often don't pick up on it it's only like when it happens later that you're like wait was that oh it was telling me that that was you know um yeah and and that's like it's harder to do also just from our perspective without um like telling you the whole story and and just like (laughs) you know you have to like understand everything and and it has to be totally spoiler free um so we will probably we will talk about it less i think the other difference as you're pointing out differences between like foreshadowing and kind of prophecy um as we're calling it um is is that foreshadowing is sort of like it's almost breaking the fourth wall right like it's it's a secret between the author and the reader um where something like prophecy or destiny or chosen one or whatever you want to call it um would not be that's usually integral to the story right so the characters understand what the prophecy is um and so does the reader Um, but it's not like it doesn't have this fourth wall feeling of like oh i understand something that like the characters in the story don't right usually they they also understand kind of what's going on no, yeah, that, and that's a yeah, that's a really good point. And so, like one of the, like I, I'm just thinking of Harry Potter, right? So we have yeah. a lot of different prophecies in Harry Potter. We also have a lot of different foreshadowing in Harry Potter. And so it's kind of fun to look back at some of the old, old the the initial books and see how much of the story was kind of already outlined in like in J.K. Rowling's mind. Yeah. 
Okay, no, like, okay, so sorry, sorry, sorry. My mind, like, we were going to Harry Potter, but I thought of just, like, the most epic prophecy slash foreshadowing that has ever happened in fictional medium ever. And that is in the second Pokemon movie. There it is. (laughs) <laughs> we're throwing back i think it was pokemon 2000 the one with all the uh the legendary birds in lugia where it says like you know like the the prophecy is happening and it says and then the world will turn to ash and then like you realize it's ash ketchum yeah like, <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's what we're talking about there right so <laughs> it's like the prophecy everyone thinks that the world is going to end where actually it's going to be turning to ash which is actually a person that will save the world yeah and so like that's kind of the the thing that I think we're trying to get at is those are I those are so satisfying to me, unlike the rereads. And like yeah. not necessarily a prophecy, but like almost like a red herring combined with foreshadowing in Harry Potter would be like Snape. Mm-hmm. Which Snape's a bad person. I don't like Snape. But anyways, uh yeah. like the I first like him as a character. Time, I just think he's not a good I like person. him as a character. He's <laughs> he's he, he is romanticized too much. Yeah, for sure. Uh <laughs> but like one of the first things, if not the first thing that Snape ever says to Harry is like the question in the potions class that's, you know, Potter, what would I get if I mixed uh powder root of asphodel and infusion of wormwood? And so this is, you know, comes across as trying to catch Harry off guard, get him in trouble. Mm-hmm. As a first year, no one should know that except for Hermione, who knows everything. But basically, Asphodel is a type of lily, and Snape mm-hmm. is in love with Lily. Yeah, so so what I, what I, what I found in my research was, like, uh, according to Victorian flower language, Asphodel is a type of lily that means my regrets follow you to the grave. And so, you know, Lily is Harry's mother, who mm-hmm. Snape, is in love with already it's also asphodel used to be thought of as a snake bite cure oh interesting <laughs> and then also if according to snape if you combine powder root of asphodel with an infusion of wormwood which is the answer to the question you would brew a potion uh so powerful that is known as the drought of living death and so there's so much packed into like that paragraph yeah. that is a lot of foreshadowing but also like on a reread it's super satisfying to see and it's almost like it's not a prophecy in the sense of like someone you know went into a trance and told me a prophecy about what's coming what's coming to pass but it is like you know these hints that like if somehow you were you know adept and wizard lore and you had not read these books yet you could pick out yeah that's so fun and and it's i think one of the areas that like gets us excited about this topic is um it almost funny enough like our most recent prior to this episode about books was about character death right and we talked about like why do authors write in character death is because it feels like powerful like emotionally powerful right um, and I think another reason that authors do this is because it feels really emotionally powerful, right? Like you, you make these connections as a, as a reader and then you, like you get chills and you're like, oh man, like that, I, you know, like, it's just really cool. So I think one reason getting kind of to the core of the, of the topic, I think one reason that authors use prophecy is, um, to impart like power, right. To, um, to give the main character kind of like a reason for who they are, right. It's not just like coincidence that they are like the strongest person or whatever. There's like there's this like backup to them, right? And yeah. I think that's part of maybe what builds into Harry. I think I would kind of point to him as like the example of this. Um, and then like, obviously there's other reasons within the story. Like it could have been Neville and all, all this stuff, right? Um, 
but it gives you like a reason of like, okay, the reason we're following Harry is because there's something special about him. And as the reader, I can kind of accept that, right? I can kind of like suspend my um, skepticism for a minute and just follow the story for like what it is. And the prophecy kind of enables that. It kind of like allows that as, as the reader. Yeah, no. And I, yeah, that that's really interesting. We kind of talked about before, like if, like I, as a kid, I, I would always wonder like, why do all the main characters always have cool stuff happening to them? And it's because like, <laughs> we don't want to read a story where that's not the case, Yeah, but it does give some validation to the character that like, there is a prophecy and like part of reading fantasy is you have to believe some things, right? Like mm-hmm. even in like a soft magic system, you have to believe, you know, that the one ring is powerful, et cetera, et cetera. And that it gains its power, right? Mm-hmm. Like you just have to, accept that as fact and then the story can progress yeah and i think prophecy roots you in that and can help you like hey these are some rules this is what the story is laying out the path for and once someone can accept that and typically prophecies in stories i can think of one example where there's kind of a red herring in a prophecy which would be a song of ice and fire Mm. but like with daenerys in the the tower which i don't remember quite now Right now, uh, when she's over on Easteros, yeah, um, <laughs> Essos, yeah. Um, where she's in the tower, a lot of, and they they tell her before they go into the tower that some of these things have happened, will happen, or may never happen. Yeah, and so it's you know of the going undying, into it, I feel like. yeah, yeah, House of the Undying, House of yes. the, yeah, that's it, yeah, that's it, and so like you know going into it that some of these are not true, some of them are, which is like I think a whole nother way to play with prophecy. Yeah, but. Other than that, and I'm sure there are more examples out there, prophecy for me as a reader is taken as fact, that it will happen. Mm-hmm. It probably won't happen exactly how they say it will, but in some literal or convoluted meaning of the words that the prophecy contains, that will come to fruition in the story. Yep. And so that is something that grounds the story and helps give it meaning and like a path forward. Yeah, I would draw another like, parallel here i think this is where i want to bring up the witcher so um the witcher prophecy centers around destiny and they like um they talk about the child of destiny and i feel like destiny is in at least one of the like book titles Mm, um beyonce yes yeah 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 um (laughs) but it's kind of a cool so within the story um there are like destiny is treated as kind of this almost godlike force right where um this is your destiny like destiny will make that happen you know right if you and it has this feeling of like you will end up in this place that can be comfortable for you or if you fight against it it will be uncomfortable for you you know mm-hmm. in other words like mm-hmm. you will end up here whether or not you fight it but if you fight it it's going to be a whole lot worse kind of thing um and i'm not always like crazy about that as like a system for prophecy um but i think within like the witcher it ends up really working um and some of that is because the characters every single character that's written into this story is like the most stubborn like bullheaded character that you can like that like exists within fantasy like if you listed top 10 they'd be like eight of them you know yeah Um, yeah yeah and and that's part of like what makes the story fun and so um the fact they're the feeling that like the characters kind of know what they like want to do but they also want their own agency and they want to have their own choices and they want to um you know kind of have control of their lives or whatever and they're fighting against that um is what gives the story like friction and it gives it bite and it, it, it helps kind of make it work. Um, the other thing I think that ends up being really fulfilling is that what often happens is that the destiny that's kind of laid out for them aligns really well with 
just self-actualization. And we talked in like the Heroes episode about like the types of stories that characters can go through. And within The Witcher, self-actualization is a really big part, right? So like most of the characters at the start of the series are basically as powerful as they are at the end of the series. Like their growth pattern is not within just like getting better better within their magic system or something like that. Um, it is for the most part kind of finding who they are and becoming really good at it, you know? So having these challenges, having these like character traits that um, could be stumbling blocks for them, but when they start to realize what their strengths are and they play to them or whatever, like you feel that like success within the story. And that aligns kind of with like destiny. They kind of find themselves... Um, accomplishing the things that they always were kind of like maybe meant to accomplish um and it it so it does both of those things it feels like it's part of the challenge of them kind of getting to where they need to go and being who they like need to be Um, but it also applies that feeling of like power of like oh this is sort of like character deaths this is who they were meant to be and that ends up being really like satisfying to the reader um so it was just a really fun series over like the seven books to kind of take as like a case study in like destiny but i I thought it was just handled like really really well that's interesting and it's a little bit of a kind of twist on kind of the classic prophecy or classic you know destiny story Mm -hmm. which i guess like my question to you is like has it become so common that it's like a almost like a trope at this point like do you do you think that that is true i i think it's definitely a trope yeah Yeah. in the sense that like a cliche I, I feel like it comes across that way. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Like, yeah. When I run across like destiny prophecy, you are, especially like you are the chosen one, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> and you're marked, you have a scar, you have a shimmering palm. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like you have a, you have a rat tail, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're supposed to be the chosen one. Midichlorians off the chart. Like all of these things that are common across all fiction. <laughs> <laughs> and I, But I think trope is a really appropriate word for it because it's like, it. this can totally be a pitfall, right? Yeah. You can totally tank and just be like, oh, they like, they do this because it's who they were meant to be or whatever. And you're like, mm-hmm. bro, that sucks. Like, you know, like this character isn't yeah. making interesting choices. This character isn't making sacrifices. They're just like following the path laid out for them. And they just happen to get to the right place at the right time and do the right thing. Right. Yeah, and I think I think what you were saying earlier and what makes interesting and compelling stories is when people are resisting being the chosen one, mm. right? Or like trying to run away. Like you see Harry do this or or you see like Frodo start to do this towards the end, right? Like trying to resist the path that is laid out for them. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes a more interesting story. Yep. However, I think, you know, it is a it is a downfall or not not a downfall. It can be a downfall. And it, it's just something that I'm always a little wary of because it can get fairly repetitive and almost like procedural yeah. in the sense of like you have this prophecy and it's like, okay, I, I know what the next 300 pages of this book are going to read like. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think one of the really clever ways to combat that for me came out of the wheel of time. Um, and just, just to take a moment, like the wheel of time has, I don't know. I think I could name like five different ways that prophecy is handled. Like it is, oh, yeah? it is very central to the, like the continuing story. Um, and there are, there are lots of different ways that it comes in. And some of it is very hmm. like fluffy and vague. And some of it is very direct. And it's really actually very cool. The, the way That's that cool. the magic system is built, it allows for um, Robert Jordan to kind of like build in these different ways that like prophecy could be handled. Um, so that just as a as a microcosm, it's really fun to like read through yeah. and just like think about prophecy and be like, oh, like how does this character handle it versus this one versus this one versus this one? Um, yeah. 
but the getting back to the the point you just made um at one point one of the characters um rand one of, one of the main characters um definitely the like the main character of the first book um if he he basically realizes that because he has been exposed to a ton of prophecy um and he realizes that in order to be successful the prophecy has to happen but making the prophecy happen will not make him successful Okay. And it's like named in the book. And it, it was a really cool like turning point for me. So in, a, in other words, he realizes if I go through my life trying to, um, I know what the prophecy is. If I just go and like make that happen, that will not necessitate, that will not necessitate success for me. Right. Interesting. Um, but yeah. in order for me to be successful, like these things will have to happen. So I have to find a way to be successful. Um, and if I do it right, it will include the things that are in the prophecy. Um, hmm. but I can't just go out of my way to make it happen or I will fail kind of thing. So it's not like a, it's not like a roadmap for him, you know, but it like, it yeah. ends up being cool as like the reader of like, Oh, that's what that meant. You know? Like, okay. Yeah. That that's hard for me to wrap my head around. I'm not going to lie to you, but it, it like, it sounds interesting where it's, it's not a step-by-step instructions on how to defeat the dark one. Yeah. But because, so if I understand you correctly, like Rand understands what it what the prophecy says but if he does exactly the letter for the law of what the prophecy says he will not be successful in defeating the dark one yeah like, like almost ne- like not ne- necessarily basically and yeah so like knowledge of the prophecy and following the prophecy does not necessarily fulfill the prophecy yeah exactly and and some of the like um let's see like let's take like like king arthur like sword in the stone or something like that yeah. you know the, the king will be the person who draws the sword um it's like does drawing the sword make him the king Right. Okay. You know, okay. the answer would be no, but it is the king who draws the sword, right? It has yeah. to be the right person. Draw. If he is the right person, he will draw the sword, but drawing the sword does not make him the right person. Okay. Yeah. That, that example really helped Yeah. me wrap my head around that one. Yeah. It, it, I think definitely like if you were reading it, it would make a lot more sense than me just trying to like describe <laughs> like, man, this is really yeah. cool. Just believe me. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, cause I have no spoilers though. Exactly. Exactly. I have, I'm trying to like condense down like 200 hours of audiobook that I've listened right. to into like this one <laughs> coherent thought. Right. You know? um, because like I said, it is, a, it is a really, really central theme within, within the story. And, and some of that's because like, um, they, they talk, it's the wheel of time. It's the cycle. So like things will mm-hmm. go through a cycle and, and things will repeat. Yeah. And, and that's kind of a common theme too. Um, so that's, that's why I think, or one of the reasons why the, this feeling kind of comes up. Um, but I just, I really liked that approach to like prophecy of like, Oh, okay. So, you know, so King Arthur can't just go around drawing swords until he gets the right <laughs> one. And then he will just win like that. That's not what right. the prophecy means. It, it means he right. has to become the type of person who can draw the sword or something like that. Yeah, it's only, it's like Thor's hammer almost, yeah. right? Like it's, yeah, like holding the hammer does not make you worthy, mm-hmm. but you have to be worthy in order to hold the hammer. Yeah, it's kind of like this this backwards way of thinking, and I don't even know if backwards is the right right adjective to use there, but mm-hmm. it's a it's a alternate way. It's not the most direct way of thinking about it. Yeah, like A does not equal B, B equals A. Yeah logic and okay yeah, yeah that, that's really cool I'm, I'm excited to see how that works in wheel of time once i eventually pick it back up yeah for sure <laughs> for sure um and like i said just to to hang on to wheel of time for a minute they I, I really enjoy that some of it is very direct um and some of it is um like the, there's like an aspect of dreaming which i think um exists in a lot of different genres um but the idea of like i dream something that will happen in the future right um and, and interpreting dreams and stuff like that and some of those are like very, very nebulous. It's like, oh, I see, mm-hmm. I see a ring of fire or something, 
like that will end up meaning something, but I have currently no idea what it means, you know? Um, and the character knows that. And then like it happens and the character's sitting there like, shit, <laughs> I knew that about this beforehand, but I didn't know enough about what it meant to actually like affect my decisions or whatever. Right. Um, so that exists. That's kind of fun. Um, some of it is a little bit like, a, a, like I said, a lot more direct where people like know like, Oh, um, the, the savior of the world will do these things. Um, but, and so they're like waiting for it to happen. And when like a character does that, then they're like, Oh, that means that he's, it's like the sword drawing from the stone. Like that means that he is the savior or whatever. And now they can draw some conclusion from that. Um, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't also necessarily help them like move forward towards saving the world. They're kind of sometimes just waiting for certain things, certain boxes to be checked and certain things to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And what it sounds like you're saying with like wheel of time is that the journey to checking those boxes is actually what leads to the world being saved. Mm. It's not necessarily the checking of the boxes is what got you to the boxes. Exactly. Exactly. So even though you know that like, cool, that's really cool. And it is because you, even though you know what is needed to save the world, you don't know that the world will be saved because you, you don't actually know that that will happen, you know? Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So that helps like suspend some of the like disbelief again of like, um, Oh, like, you know, this is all going to work out fine. Like it helps suspend that because it, it doesn't, even though you know the prophecy, it doesn't mean that it will happen. And, and that like yeah. little bit of vagueness really helps. Okay. Yeah, no, that, that's a, that's really cool. And I think would be really hard to write. Yeah. Well. I don't know how he did that. Yeah. And, and that's probably why Wheel of Time is so successful because obviously it sounds like he did a really good job in implementing that device. For sure. Cool. Yeah. When, when, okay. So like, I, I assume that we're seeing some of the prophecy in the earlier books, but when does some of that come to realization that, Hey, these are some of the boxes that are being checked what, mm-hmm. what, at what part of the series, not necessarily like, you know, chapter three and yeah, book yeah, five, yeah. but just like a general for sure like, idea. I feel like it starts becoming a bigger part of the story in like the end of book two and like okay. book three is like the, some of the first solid, like, okay, these boxes are like definitely being checked. Um, I think that like feeling that I was sharing with you of um, like checking these boxes boxes doesn't mean that the world will be saved or whatever. Um, that becomes maybe a bigger part of the. I feel like I feel like that was book four or five. Um, okay. So in Very that cool. realm is where it's kind of becoming more integral to the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. So I'm excited. I'm excited to get there. Yeah, it's cool stuff, man. It's, it's yeah. really cool stuff. So anyways, that's that's a whole lot of nerding out on Wheel of Time. <laughs> but I totally I, fair. Yeah, right. Um but I bring it up because like the whole it's called the Wheel of Time, right? It it's again, it's this idea of like cyclical and things repeating and um so there there's already a theme just built into the you know, the structure of the story um that people know what's going to happen but they don't know how. Um and mm-hmm. and so I bring it up because as it, the whole series to me has a lot of exploration of that. It's definitely not the only thing going on. There's a, enough in the series to explore a whole different a lot of different stuff. Um but it has been maybe the part of the series that I've I would even say maybe I've most enjoyed as I've as I've started down this path of thinking about um prophecy specifically um and destiny or whatever as a, as a literary device I've really enjoyed just kind of like listening for it and like hearing these different parts of the story and be like oh that was pretty cool you know I, I like how that was just included without um becoming a trope and, and without ruining the yeah. story for me, but becoming something that's interesting, um, but also like just really delicately handled, you know, it's almost like a surgeon's blade, like a little scalpel that he's able to like slice these little bits in um, and, and make it really enjoyable for the reader without like becoming a trope. So, yeah. And I, I think that's, that's really 
interesting and incredible that he was able to do that because one of the things that I was saying earlier is with like foreshadowing and all of these like cool things that you could have picked up on and are really great on the reread. Like those are great, but it does require you to reread the the books. This mm-hmm. is your first time through Wheel of Time, and the fact that you have the prophecy and he's still able to invoke these moments yeah. is really special. And it's just like something that you don't get to see a lot. And it's like you're like, I see what's happening here, and it's almost like you are you're catching the foreshadowing, mm-hmm. but you on your first read through. And I yeah. think that's really unique like I, I can't think of an example where i have gone through something like that like in, in my history of like reading or like taking in media mm-hmm. and i'm sure there may be something if i thought hard enough but it's definitely it's definitely like different and, and it's impressive yeah and it's, it's, very, it's very rewarding for sure yeah so especially because i don't think i'll reread wheel of time yeah there are people yeah. who do and maybe i'm wrong maybe when i'm like i don't know older uh, I'll, I'll, it will have been long enough and i will say hey, i'm gonna reread the wheel of time but it's so it's such a commitment that <laughs> it's hard to think that i might actually do that but i'm sure if you do there there's even more yeah. there's more nuggets that you could pick up on that that you would you weren't even looking for in book one oh, right and, and you could you could find those and that, those would be super satisfying and it's like you know on a much smaller scale like well, I guess not much smaller, but like Harry Potter, like I pick up new things every single time I read through Harry Potter mm-hmm. and I, they're not necessarily foreshadowing things, but it's like, I read through that probably once a year and it's just always like little things. So something where JK Rowling, I think is a very skilled writer in foreshadowing and dropping these little hints all over the place mm-hmm. that Robert Jordan seems to even be like the masterclass of that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I feel like a reread would be, you know, very rewarding in that sense, but it's just so impressive that he's able to do this mm-hmm. like on the first read through and you feel like you're figuring it out, even though it's been told to you already. Yeah, for sure. Right. That's just so cool. It is cool. That's just so cool to me. Oh, well, thanks for, you know, sitting in, in this discussion with me. Like I said, yeah. I knew where it was going to end up, but I'm, I'm glad that you enjoyed the journey <laughs> to get there. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I, I always love talking about this kind of stuff and yeah. like thinking about all of these literary devices and we've done like narration and magic mm. and now prophecy and, you know, a plethora of other things. It's really cool to think about all the stories that we know and love in a different, at a different angle. And like, it just like opens up different ways of, taking in the story. And I yeah. think that that's really fun and exciting. And I hope that you as a listener are able to do that as well when you're, when you're listening along. Absolutely. So, but yeah, so what, what, what are some of your, I mean, this is a very dangerous question to ask. I feel because <laughs> if you, if you have not read, I feel like this is a, we're gender, we're, we're wandering into very heavy spoiler territory quickly. And so, yes. but I do, I am curious, maybe, maybe I'll ask it in this way. Like, what are some of the stories or novels that you think have some of the best prophecy or foreshadowing in them? And I don't want to necessarily know what they are, <laughs> like what, what, what the prophecy or the foreshadowing is, but I do want to know the novel. And because I'm sure that there are some really cool ones out there yeah. that have played around with this idea and can really, you know, sink it, their teeth into it and, and really, you know, run with it. Mm-hmm. And so I like, I always like to kind of think of like, what's the penultimate like example of this. It sounds like from our experience, wheel of time is that, but yeah. do you have another idea or something else that you have read that you're like, this 
is amazing and incredible and i want you to read that let us know yeah so i I hope that we have gotten through this episode without spoiling something for you like like i said this is of all them this is a pretty delicate one to try and dance around yeah this one we this and character dust we need to go like (laughs) our, our next one needs to be like First chapters. Yeah. Like <laughs> something that we just can't spoil yeah. or something like that because we, we've been we've been doing a lot of tiptoeing recently. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, what yeah, what book has the best it would be like Name of the Wind. Okay, next question. Yep. Okay. okay, cool. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so let us know. You can find us on Discord. So the link to the Discord uh, server will be in the description of this podcast so wherever you're listening you scroll down a little bit you can find a link there that will invite you and let's talk about it there or let's talk about it on instagram you can find those are probably our easiest methods of communication you can also like email us or or however you can find to contact us we'll we'll (laughs) talk to you but the two easiest ones are going to be discord and instagram for sure but it has been a joy talking with you about this. It's been interesting to hear kind of like from someone who's only read, you know, two and a half or so books of the Wheel of Time. It's been interesting to hear someone who is, you know, much deeper into the series and how, how that has grown. But it's been just fun to think about and like just dive into with you. Good. I'm glad. It's been it's been yeah. a blast for me, too. I Yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with this one. I'm looking forward to hearing what our listeners have to say. But until next time, cheers, buddy. Cheers. <laughs>